As you probably know, we're doing this series on the Holy Spirit, and I was given filled with the Spirit, Acts 1 and 2. That would be simple then, I thought. <laughs> um, it's an issue that, uh, a subject that's been quite contentious in certain churches. It's divided churches, it's divided denominations. Um, it's full, chock full of theology and complex matter. <laughs> so I was rather daunted when I first thought, you know, I'm not going to have to do this. But it was so rewarding uh, studying this. Most challenging, rewarding, and actually exciting subject. <laughs> and I would recommend anybody to do it yourselves. And I hope that some of that actually comes across in uh, what I'm going to tell you today. Okay. First of all, when I think of the gift of the Holy Spirit, this is a confession. The image that comes to my mind is of a little wrapped box with wrapping paper, perhaps a pink bow, um, a disappointing pair of socks inside. Um, and I want to sort of challenge that right from the start. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? I think I wanted to get, if only for my sake, to get clear in my mind just exactly who we're talking about today. We all know this. <laughs> He's not uh, a thing. He's God. God eternal, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. He's called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Comforter, Spirit of promise, of truth, of grace, of life, of adoption, of holiness, those are some of his names. He has a mind, a will, and feeling. We can grieve him, we can lie to him, we can blaspheme against him. He's symbolized by fire, wind, water, as we heard last week, streams of gushing living water. He's a seal, oil, and a dove. And Jesus says he's a gift, <laughs> a gift for us. So in all reverence <laughs> and bearing in mind just what honor we receive, we'll start. That was the intro. <laughs> You've got your fingers in Acts, but that's not enough, I thought. The scope, I think, is from Genesis to Revelation. Acts, I see, Acts 2 is like the pivot of all history. Everything leading up to it was an anticipation of it happening. Genesis 3, up until this point, man had been in perfect union with God, and then he fell. He was separated from God. But God had a plan to restore what was lost. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit at work in all of these people's lives, and that's just a few. Each of them had been anointed in the Holy Spirit for some purpose or task, and you can read them all there. But it didn't last. Uh, when the Holy Spirit appeared in the, whole, in the Old Testament, it was for a specific task, task and for select people. It wasn't enough. 
the anticipation was building because there was an expectation that something else had to happen. Joel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had this prophecy. Afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This talks about um, something that hadn't been seen before. The Holy Spirit working on everybody, not just for the select few. Um, for the different sexes, the different age ranges, for different social classes. The, the way that the Bible describes it is to, to suggest that completely universally everybody um, will be, have this option to be filled with this power. Anticipation's building. And then God arrives on earth. I think Nigel talked about this a few weeks ago and covered how Jesus and the Holy Spirit were um, interacting and so closely uh, unified on earth. We understand Jesus as our saviour. He also had a second role (laughs) while he was here on earth and that was he is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. But that had to come only after he left. Jesus sort of warned his disciples, I must leave you, because if I don't, the helper cannot come. Which leads us nicely to Acts. And I am going to read through most of it. So if you want to turn to Acts 1 now, starting from verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he has chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their very sight. They were looking intently up into the sky he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. 
Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I'm going to stop there and go to Acts 2. What happens in the rest of Acts 1 is that they decide on replacing Judas Iscariot with Matthias, and you can read that later as you wish. So coming to verse 1 of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, to keep, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. 
Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God was raised, has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to that, their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I perhaps didn't need to read through all of that, but I wanted to. <laughs> um, and I think it gives a good picture of how radical and how a complete transformation happened on that day. To begin with, and the whole point of this talk is to discuss being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if I start with Acts 2, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What does that exactly mean? Um, People still argue about it to this day, but I'll tell you what I believe and what I believe uh, we in New Frontiers and in this church believe. Um, strangely enough, to start explaining what it means, I'm going to tell you what it doesn't mean first. I'm going to say it isn't the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation which some people might call uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit or being born again. We're talking about something else. And Marjorie can correct me at any point uh, <laughs> on this slide. In John 3, Jesus had a long conversation with Nicodemus about the necessity of being born of water 
and of the Spirit. It is a once and for all event, just as being born of water is a once and for all event. If you're born of the Spirit, you don't keep on going on being born of the Spirit. It's once and only, and it's your salvation. In John 14, 16, Jesus tells of another counselor who will come to be with you forever, a permanence. When he comes to you, he will be with you forever, which is something different to what being filled with the Spirit might be. I've already mentioned this, alluded to it in the worship. Paul describes this as having believed you are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Again, it's not something that you need to keep on asking to be resealed when you're stamped with a seal by God. Nothing can break that. It's permanent. Now this, (laughs) I will keep on looking at Nigel while I talk about this. John 20, 1923 is a event when Jesus, now resurrected, appears to his disciples. And it does tickle me when he comes in and says, peace. And if you see a man walk through your door, which is locked, the last thing you're going to feel is... (laughs) But he says, peace. And the next thing he does is he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting in that in Genesis, God the Father breathed on Adam and he came to life. Jesus breathed on his disciples for the same purpose. Now some people will say this is being born of the Spirit, that this was the baptism in the Spirit. Nigel's shaking his head. Okay, so I'm going to backtrack. <laughs> you agree? Okay. Good. <laughs> that would have, <laughs> would have messed everything up. I'm with you. Good, good. <laughs> Better, good. <laughs> this was, they see this as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, obviously, there are some who will disagree with that and say, well, it was just a foreshadowing or a promise of the baptism to come. I myself am persuaded (laughs) that it is. um, When Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, it was a command, a declaration. But this happened before Acts 2. So what was Acts 2? Thank you, Nigel. (laughs) Another point, yes, I thought I'd raise this. In Acts 8, Peter and John went to the Samaritans who they had heard had received Christ. But they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So, again, there seems to be a, a secondary event that's happening after salvation. Thessalonians also warns us of something. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. 
Now, as we said, once we're baptized in the Spirit, that cannot be removed. That's permanent. But in the process of grieving the Holy Spirit, we can, as Thessalonians is telling us, in some degree limit the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that is referring to something else that the Holy Spirit does in us which potentially can be quenched. So yeah, I'm trying to get to the point. (laughs) What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit then? Paul tells us in a kind of command, be filled with the Spirit. And I know most of you probably heard this before, but I will say it again because it's good. If you look at the Greek tense, when he says be filled, you can extend that into the meaning be being continually kept filled with the Spirit, which is a mouthful, but it's true. (laughs) What Paul is describing is that we have a responsibility to be kept continually filled with the Spirit. Not to be kept continually baptized in the Spirit, but to be filled. The Greek word for filled is plero. I think I did this last time, but I do like doing this. Uh, Plero. Uh, And what I also did last time was use pictures. There are a couple of meanings as to what plero means to try and describe uh, its fuller meaning of being filled. One of which is like a forceful wind that fills and blows out a sail and so forceful that it actually moves the boat. A gust, a gale, a filling and blasting of a sail. That is plero. Another meaning is like the process of rubbing salt into meat. You knead it hard and tenderize the meat uh, so that every part of it is filled with salt. I thought this is very helpful <laughs> for describing what is it to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is, in a sense, a forceful filling of our being that we are thoroughly and utterly infused with the Holy Spirit, such that every part of our being has a flavor of him that blows out our sails and moves us. It is forceful. It is life-changing. The 120 people waiting in the room were filled, drunk in the spirit, blown about, and were very nicely tenderized (laughs) in the Holy Spirit. I didn't know how better to describe what it is to be filled with this spirit. In some sense, it's a mystery how the eternal God can fill us and change us as he does but I thought that was helpful. (laughs) 
I mentioned Ephesians 5 earlier where Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit. At the start of the chapter, he says, be imitators of God. And if you read through it, and I'd recommend reading through perhaps Ephesians 5 later, he commands us, be imitators of God, be children of light, be wise, avoiding all sin and foolishness and uh, all sorts of immoralities. And then in verse 19, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit helps us to be imitators of him. This quote, which um, I got off the internet, and reportedly it's by Wayne Grudem, uh, I thought was also helpful. Being filled with the Spirit means to be filled with the immediate presence of God to the extent that you are feeling what God himself feels, desiring what God desires, doing what God wants, speaking by God's power and praying and ministering in God's strength and knowing that the knowledge that God himself gives. To be filled with the Spirit is to be so much filled with him, you start to look like him. You start to sound like him, smell like him, taste like him. The presence of him is around you. That is what helps us to be imitators of him, helps us to live a holy life, and helps us to desire what he desires and speak in his power. So what does Acts show us were the consequences of the 120 being filled? What do you think is top of the list? (laughs) What happened when they were filled? Worship. Verse 11 says, We hear them declaring the wonders God in our own tongues. The most natural thing for the Holy Spirit to do, as we heard in the worship this morning when Phil said, is for him to worship God. (laughs) And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the first and most natural instinct for us to immediately worship God. Worship as a consequence. They witnessed. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Peter was a Galilean fisherman out of place in Jerusalem and mocked by those around him. But it was a natural instinct for him to witness to Jesus Christ, to witness to everything he did, and to call those to repentance. I was challenged by this. If I pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, invariably it's for myself. (laughs) How often do I pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the sake of the lost around me? when it is the most effective, best thing I can do. When I think of those around me, the people who I know are lost and I pray for their salvation, am I praying to be so filled with the Holy Spirit 
that when I meet them, they will see Christ. It's a challenge to me, and I say that to myself first, but I thought it's a good challenge for us all. And to keep with the theme of W's, wonders. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I'm going to start treading on Nigel's toes a bit because next week he's uh, <laughs> covering gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I will speak very briefly, and I mean very briefly, <laughs> on another contentious issue in the wider church. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It seemed to be a natural progression that once the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began speaking in tongues. It sounded like they didn't have much choice in the matter, <laughs> but they praised God and it came out in tongues. Some people obviously believe that this was just a time for the New Testament. Um, but obviously from everything which we've seen so far, that Joel prophesied about and that Peter spoke this gift is for everyone who God calls. It wasn't just for the men and women, slaves, uh, old and young of the New Testament. It was for all time. So we do, in this church, believe in, in tongues. I speak in tongues. Um, there's a lot to go in on this, and I'm going to look at Nigel again. Are you going to cover this next week? No? Oh. Shame. <laughs> well, I'm not going to cover it in much greater detail. So your homework <laughs> is read 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, which is very useful. And if you want to speak to Nigel later, I'm sure he'll tell you all about it. Um, but I will mention it briefly later when I give a little testimony of how I was filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Forget that idea. <laughs> I know, well, it's a fairly big one. I don't know if you... <laughs> Very good. Okay. So I hope you're all excited by the prospect of uh, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if anybody here might still be asking, why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? To make it clear, if anybody isn't filled with the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean you're not born again if you're a Christian. Your, your salvation is sure. Um, because if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and you're a Christian, that doesn't mean you've not earned enough brownie points and you can't get into heaven. So do not be condemned on that score. But I'm very simply going to try and answer that question. Why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? God wants you. Um, man was separated from God in the Garden of Eden. 
And since then he's been trying and he's been carrying out his plan to bring us back. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, I can personally testify, is the closest and most intimate that I ever get to God. And it is for anybody this side of heaven. Um, I think John Snelling's not here, is he? For those who were in the prayer meeting last week will be aware of the, the rather personal um, imagery he used of how close God wants to be to us. And if nothing else, God wants you. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a great depth of relationship there to be found. He wants other people as well. Obviously, in your own strength, you can bring people to know him. In his strength, you can do a whole lot more. Um, and this is the challenge again, which I mentioned earlier. To be filled in the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the wisdom, the knowledge, the lovable character of Christ in you is going to make you that much more effective. You need to be filled for the sake of others. And why not? It's exciting. <laughs> life fulfilling, life changing, and it gives a clarity of vision. Um, I think there's one of the students here recently sort of quite empowered and his entire life came into uh, complete context and everything made sense <laughs> when he was filled um, with the Holy Spirit. It changed my life. It gave me uh, purpose and it, it makes some, my life which is rather dull <laughs> most of the time quite exciting and just as in every sermon I've done so far which is only two I've included him <laughs> and I'll try and include him in every sermon I do <laughs> it's not a quiz but he's got a quote which I love um, God has gifted us to live above the ordinary plane of life those who want to be ordinary may do so but as for me I will not <laughs> If you want to live an extraordinary life, like Smith Wigglesworth, and I wish I did, we know where to start. I think I've not been going very long, but I'm nearly finished. <laughs> but I will perhaps just draw this testimony out and talk about myself, because I'm good at doing that. Um... My testimony I thought might be useful. It's not as exciting as Acts 2. <laughs> I didn't see any tongues of fire coming down and resting on my head. I was perhaps nine or ten years old. And I wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, my mum took me to see uh, a new Nigerian pastor who'd come to uh, our church and the most lovely man uh, but I couldn't get over the fact he kept on shouting be filled, be filled speak in tongues, speak in tongues and I was so afraid of him <laughs> nothing came out of my mouth I was disappointed uh, 
Soon afterwards, though, um, before going to bed, I think I had prayed with uh, my parents. And I thought I had a word. It didn't make any sense. And I asked my mum if, if she thought, you know, is this a tongue? Am I actually speaking in tongues? And she, she prayed for me, said, shall we see if you get any more? Let's try. Tried, said it a few times, nothing. And with all force, the, the next thing that came out was uh, Kellogg's Frosties, <laughs> which I was pretty certain wasn't a tongue. It was uh, my favorite breakfast cereal at the time, yeah. <laughs> it was very simple. Um, I started to doubt, oh, I've just made it up. This isn't real. Perhaps a few months later, um, while in a home group, um, completely unexpected, uh, words came into my head. No one is praying for your dad's knee. You need to pray for your dad's knee. <laughs> my heart started beating quite fast and, well, I can't speak out. I'm only young. Uh, Seconds later, my mum stops the worship and says, I've just had a word <laughs> from the mouths of children of ordained praise. And Jonathan, I think you need to pray for your dad's knee. <laughs> I prayed for his knee and it was healed. He couldn't climb the stairs without excruciating pain. And he climbed the stairs without pain. I then knew the reality. I was filled. <laughs> God had done something in me and was doing something in me that he was speaking to me directly and using me. Um, it wasn't rapid. It wasn't dramatic. And if this testimony is useful for anything, that if don't despise the little things or the small steps, my life has been a series of small steps. And I've gradually got to know um, the Holy Spirit um, throughout all my life. And that one word which I had before keeps on cropping up in tongues when I sing and worship him now. <laughs> I'm sure it's some word of praise. But it was simple enough for a child like me to receive. Simple for me to get. I didn't have to work hard at it. It sort of came on me. All I had to do was ask. In Luke 11, 9 to 13, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Quite often this verse is used, as Nigel probably testified, to giving, God giving many other things. But first and foremost, the greatest gift is the Holy Spirit. If God the Father is prepared to freely give you the greatest gift, Certainly other things will come too. But to know that we have only to ask, to seek and to knock. 
the disciples had to wait 10 days praying uh, in the upper room. I maybe had to wait years, but it happened. God will and he promises to fill us with the Holy Spirit as we seek him. And I don't know if Phil, you mind getting up at this point <laughs> just to play. Um, obviously, I finished quite early and I was thinking that if anybody who feels they maybe not be filled with the Holy Spirit or if they're not certain can come and seek one of the elders at the front and get prayer. Anybody who wants to speak in tongues or wants any gift of the Holy Spirit, feel free to come and ask for prayer. Anybody who is filled with the Spirit but feels dry and needs topping up and realizes they're not um, continually being kept topped up and filling and overflowing, then feel free to come forward to prayer for that as well. And I think it's perhaps best that we finish with worship as well and exercise those gifts of tongues (laughs) and praise and worship God. Amen.